Our team of nurses and medical professionals will be available to check your blood pressure. I would just say we've had some real success stories where people uh, maybe didn't think they needed to get their blood pressure checked. They, they went through the process, found out something maybe wasn't right, went to the doctor, and were able to keep a tragedy from taking place. So get your blood pressure checked next Sunday, 9 to 9.30, 10.30 to 11 in the library. Where have we been up to this point in time? I'm going to do this quickly this week, but I want to talk a little bit about week one, September 7, when we looked at chapter one of the story and the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We saw how God's perfect plan, God's perfect utopia was destroyed by sin, the, the stain of sin, the sting of sin. Sin changed everything. And sin changed everything, week two, week three, week four, week five, week six, and week seven. This week, as we dive into this study on, on the book of Judges, chapter eight, we're going to see sin. It's a big player in the book of Judges, this idea of sin doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, weeks four through six, we looked at the story of Moses, and, and I want to highlight something we studied two weeks ago. The wilderness wanderings. Why did God's people have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years? It's because they didn't have faith. They chose fear instead of faith. They didn't learn from the lessons that the Lord had, had laid out right in front of them, and they chose fear, and they paid a price, and they wandered for 40 years through the wilderness. Last week was Joshua, conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And as we ended last week, chapter 7, it should have been perfect. It should have been exactly where God wanted his people to be, ready to live in community with them. They were a nation. That was the first part of the promise that God made to Abraham. They now had a land, and life should have been great. But today, as we study the book of Judges, we're going to find out that that is not the case. I want to read some context for you, and we'll put this up on the screen. In the story... We come to a 300-year period of time known as the Judges. It's recorded in the book of Judges. 700 years after God's promise to Abraham, what was the promise? Nation, land, blessing. 700 years later, the people of God are in their own land. God is present in the tabernacle. The law has been given. They are truly a blessed people. They're good to go, right? Not so fast. It's all because of that three-letter word I have highlighted in blue, sin. Sin still reigns in the hearts of the people. Still, sin still raises its ugly head and creates problems for God's people. So what happened? What went wrong? Where's all the momentum that God's people have after the conquering of the land of Canaan, the promised land, what went wrong? Well, we learned what went wrong early in the book of Judges. If you're reading in the story, it's the very first page of chapter 8. If you're reading in your Bible, it's Judges chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. Verse 8 tells us that Joshua died. Joshua passed away. And then let's pick up the reading with verse 10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I've got to just pause. How is that possible? How is it possible that they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know the mighty deliverance? They didn't know the story of the Passover. They didn't know the account of the Red Sea crossing. 
They didn't know the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River in the book of Joshua, or the walls of Jericho tumbling down, or the sun standing still. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. It's the same reason there's people in your life, they know the name Jesus, but they don't really know very much about him. They think he was a cool dude, carpenter, who told some cool stories, and if I pray this prayer, I get to go to heaven. That's what they know. It's the same exact thing, because parents stopped teaching their children, because grandparents no longer passed on the faith to the, to the further generations, and before long, people are looking around, and they really don't know what's happening. They knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. If you underline in your Bible, if you have the story, underline that phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You're going to see that over and over and over again in the book of Judges. You're going to see that over and over and over again in chapter 8 of the story. It's the story of people who, ever, who, who either never knew or they have forgot the difference the Lord makes in their life. And we see a cycle unfold in the book of Judges. It's known as the Judges cycle. And, and it, it is this. Put this up on the screen. Here's the Judges cycle. Sin, oppression repentance and deliverance. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. We see this cycle play out six different times in the book of Judges. Let me go through it one at a time. Sin, what is that? They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Oppression, the anger of the Lord bubbles up and the Lord oppresses his people usually through a foreign country, a king, an army of some sort. After a while, God's people get a clue, and they repent. They cry out. They say, we're sorry. And every single time that God's people cry out to him, he raises up a deliverer. He raises up a judge who will bring deliverance to his people. I mean, it's a cycle over and over and over and over again. And I find myself asking the question, why did the cycle repeat itself so many times? Why did God's people not get it? Why would the cycle unfold and then you might have 40 years of peace and then Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord and the cycle repeats itself again and maybe there's peace for 18 years now and the cycle repeats and then there's peace. Why does it play out over and over and over again? And I think the answer is this, sin is tasty, sin is powerful, and I don't get Baal worship, I got to be honest with you, I don't get offering sacrifices at the Asherah pole, but I got to tell you, when I read some of the lists in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul shares, I, I understand the, the enticement that greed presents, or lust presents, or substances present. Sin is powerful. And if you look at that cycle, you look at that list, you look at that PowerPoint slide, and you say, wow, they were stupid people a long time ago. I'm sure glad we're not like that. 
you're kidding yourself. Doesn't that cycle present itself in your life and my life over and over and over again? I was struck by one of the very last verses in the book of Joshua compared to the very last verse in the book of Judges, and it really gives you the difference in perspective, in worldview, in mindset between God's people when Joshua is leading them and God's people when really no one is leading them. And here it is. In Joshua 24, I love this verse, talked about it last week, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. These are Joshua's final words. He says, do what you want to do. You want to worship foreign gods, you worship foreign gods. You think you're smarter than God, you do what you want to do. But as for me and my household, we're with him. We will serve the Lord. And then at the end of the book of Judges, kind of the capstone verse for the entire 300-year period of time, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. If I were trying to write a description of Judges 21-25, I think this is what it is. You are not the boss of me. Anybody ever uttered that before? You are not the boss of me. I know a lot of kids right now are not raising their hands. I hear that all the time when I'm around kids. You are not the boss of me. But I'm not picking on the kids today because I think for a lot of us, that's our worldview. I see that hand in the back. Good job. That hand waving in the back. Good job. That's kind of our motto, isn't it? That's kind of our worldview, isn't it? You are not the boss of me. Maybe it sounds something like this. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever you think might bring you happiness, go for it. Pleasure for a moment, two thumbs up. You are not the boss of me. So before we're too hard on God's people, Before we beat them up too much, let's realize this cycle is alive and well in 2014 today. I have a confession to make. I've been preaching way too long. I had like a 37-minute sermon last week. So I have made a commitment to give you a 25-minute message today, and I'm sticking to it. But one of the things that I want to do as we tackle this judges cycle is I want to give you an example of the judges cycle playing out in a very succinct way. It's in Judges chapter 3. It involves a judge by the name of Othniel, not one of the the flashy judges necessarily. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to highlight in a color-coded way sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. It says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rithiam, king of Aram Neraham. I should have had you read, Jordan. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that, they became, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rithiam, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenez, died. Did you see the cycle? Let me illustrate it for you. Sin, verse 7. Next slide. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What did they do? They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. They have uh, just blasted away at the first two commandments. No other gods and no idols. They're they're not doing well. What's part two? Oppression, verse 8. The anger of the Lord 
burned against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the king that we can't pronounce, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. Part three of the cycle, repentance, verse nine. But, when, but then they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. They said, we're a disaster. We're a mess. We're sorry. We'll never do it again. They didn't say, we'll never do it again. They should have said, we'll never do it again. But they cry out. That's repentance. And then part four of the cycle, deliverance. The Lord raises up for them a deliverer. And notice who it is. Caleb's, um, it would be Caleb's uh, nephew, if I have that correctly. Othniel, son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. And then there's a fifth part to this cycle. It's really not part of the cycle, but you don't want to miss. And that's the narrative. That's the next slide here. I won't read it, but you have the narrative that's unfolding. And sometimes, like this case, the narrative is two verses long. And sometimes, in the case of Samson, the narrative is four chapters long. And I would say two things. One, dive in to the book of Judges. Read the book of Judges. Spend time this week reading the accounts uh, of the different judges. There's much that we can learn. There's much that we can glean from the text. But the second thing, and parents, pay attention to this. The Bible is not always G-rated. In fact, there are some portions of the book of Judges that is R-rated. So just be wise. The last thing that you would want to do is read the account of the next judge after this right before bedtime with your kindergartner. They might not sleep that night. So just be really wise as you dive in to God's Word. I want to give you real quickly snapshots of four judges that that I think we can connect with. The first is Deborah. Deborah was a judge during her day. And, And that may stun some of you right now that in the Old Testament... There was a female that was leading Israel during that time. That's exactly what Judges chapter 4 tells us. Deborah was the leader of the Lord's people during that time, and people would come to her, and she would settle disputes. And I love the story of Deborah for several reasons. Number one, she does not shy away from leading, even though she's a woman in a day and an age where women did not lead. There is no precedent for this in the world during this time. There's no precedent for this in Israel during this time. But the Lord put Deborah in this position of leadership, and she does not shy away. Secondly, she doesn't flaunt it, however. In fact, Barak, the military commander, gets the word from Deborah. Deborah says, the Lord is ready to bring victory to you. And Barak says, I'm not going unless you go. Deborah says, that's fine, I'll go. But what does she say? Do you remember? She says, you're giving victory to a woman if I go. He says, come on, we're going together. Ladies, if you have a young woman in your life that you're wanting to raise up a biblical model of a woman who leads with humility and true commitment to the Lord, can I introduce Deborah to you? I think we need to teach and we need to preach and we need to share the story of Deborah more than we do. Incredible example for young women today. Second example, Gideon. And these last three we studied during a sermon series this year in March. I mean, you remember our Judges series? It was that good, huh? We studied uh, Gideon and Jephthah and Samson. So I'm not going to say a lot about them at this time. But Gideon, his big struggle was doubt. He really doubted that he could be the one that God would use to lead in a mighty way. And he doubted because his clan, Manasseh, was very weak, and he was weak within his clan. 
But God said, Gideon, you are the man. Literally, you are the man. And God used Gideon to do two things. One you know about, one you may not know about. God's people were so far gone during this time, there was an Asherah pole in their community. And Gideon cut it down and he burned the Asherah pole. Now, he did it at night. He didn't do it during the daytime. And he kind of hid after he did it. But it's a good thing that he did it. Because he was someone that was afraid. He was someone that had doubts. The second thing that he did is he led God's people to a military victory. But it was a very unlikely victory. The army uh, of Israel had 22,000 soldiers. And Gideon is finally convinced that he's going to go to battle. And God says to him what he didn't expect to hear, you have way too many people to go to battle. He's like, what? What are you talking about? So he gathers the 22,000 together and he says, if any of you are afraid, if any of you just don't want to go to battle, go home. And 12,000 people left. So he's left with an army of 10,000. Now that's still pretty good. An army of 10,000 is not bad, but God says again, Gideon, too many. We need to reduce the numbers. And long story short, he ends up with just 300 fighting men. And they win the victory. They win the victory without ever having to raise a sword because the Lord delivered the victory. He threw the foreign army into confusion and they ended up killing one another. And Gideon was taught a lesson. If you just trust me, if you just roll with me, I'm going to lead you to victory. Judge number three, Jephthah. Uh, don't want to say a lot about Jephthah other than the fact that Jephthah is the classic example of someone that, that is very dangerous when they have a very strong faith, but they don't have strong Bible, strong theology to back it up. Judges chapters 10 and 11. He ends up making an oath that he doesn't need to keep. He keeps it anyway. And the reason that he keeps the oath, sacrifices his daughter, is because he didn't know God's word. He didn't realize he didn't have to keep it. And so if you ever have someone tell you, I don't need the Bible, I don't need the church, Bible study, are you kidding me? I don't need any of that. I just believe. Give them the story of Jephthah. Jephthah is a classic case of the danger, the tragedy that can happen when someone has a very strong faith. And they don't have good theology, God's word, to back it up. And then judge number four, Samson, strongest man in the land except when it came to his moral fiber. He was a disaster morally, and it led to his downfall. And Samson, his account is the longest of all the judges in the book of Judges. It covers chapters 13 through 16, and uh, it, it's a very good, interesting read. So what do we want to do with all of this? Well, as I wrap up this morning, I want to talk about two parts of the judges' cycle that they all have something to do with us, but these two parts, probably more than any other, I think are relevant for us in our lives today. And the first one is that word sin. I want to talk about sin for just a moment. Because the temptation is to say, well, we're sophisticated people in 2014. I mean, look at all the stuff we've invented. I mean, look at all the things we've done in outer space. Look, look, look at all the achievements that we have. Is sin even a relevant discussion anymore? Is sin even a big deal anymore? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. And I want to tell you three things about sin. And if you've been around the church for a while, this isn't new information. But we can't ever lose sight of it. And number one is this. Sin is missing the mark. It's absolutely missing 
the mark. Think of it like this. I decide that I'm going to go deer hunting. And so I get a bow and arrow or I get a shotgun or whatever you use to kill a deer. And you get a, uh, get a target of some sort. And I get my bow and arrow and I shoot it. And, and it goes and it just kind of like dies and falls. Or it goes way up high and hits the neighbor's house or something along those lines. What's that going to tell you? I'm not eating venison this winter, right? That's what it's going to tell you more than likely. That I've got a lot of work to do. I'm missing the mark. And I can have the greatest camo gear in the world, and I can have the greatest tree stand in the world, and I can do the eye paint and all that stuff, get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and if I can't shoot my bow and arrow, if I can't shoot my shotgun and hit the target, it's not going to do any good. I think for a lot of Christians, that's kind of how we approach life when it comes to sin. I'm going to give it the old college try. I'm going to do my very best as I define my very best, which isn't really good at all. And I'm going to say, but at least I tried. I mean, I'm forgiven, right? God's grace is out there, right? Understand, sin is missing the mark. Sin breaks the heart of God. Second thing, sin creates separation. It creates separation. The Garden of Eden, the tragedy of the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve left this perfect utopia to live the life of wanderers, to live the life on the run, to live the life with no protection. You think they wanted to go back in time? Have you ever laid in bed at night and thought, man, I wish I would have left that last sentence out of that conversation, or I I wish I could have said that differently in the meeting at work today. We all go through that. What do you think Adam and Eve were thinking for the rest of their lives? Right? And yet sin does the same thing for you and me, man. It separates us. And separation is powerful and separation is painful. And then finally, sin, if we don't do anything about it, it leads to death. Paul says in Romans 6, the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. And so I can't read the book of Judges without being reminded that sin is a big deal. It's a big deal for me. It's a big deal for you. And if you are here today and you're saying sin's not a big deal, you don't understand God's word. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, you know what his take on it was? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. What a wretched man am I. That's the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. That's the power of sin. Second thing I want to talk about is repentance, part three of the judge's cycle. Most of us, when we think repentance, we think it's just saying sorry. Repentance is saying sorry. And I'm telling you, repentance is so much more than saying sorry. If, um, if I have my son Peyton come up, which he's not going to, and um, I, I, I let him know that, you know, I, I don't like the shirt that he's wearing, and that it's just a disgusting shirt, and why are you wearing such a shirt? And I really hurt his feelings. I say harsh words to him, and he starts crying, and he walks away, and I come up to him the next day, and I say, Peyton, I'm really sorry. He's probably going to accept that apology. But if I start in on him about the shorts that he's wearing, or the shirt that, that he's wearing, or the shoes that he's wearing, or the sunglasses that he has, or the hat that's on his head, have I really demonstrated that I'm sorry? Not at all. And yet I think that's the approach that a lot of Christians have when it comes to sin. I'm going to say that I'm sorry, but I'm not really going to change. 
I'm not going to deal with this area of my life. See, true repentance brings about a radical change. The best picture that I have of that is a 180-degree change. I'm walking east, I decide I'm going to change, and now I'm going west. And I would say this, repentance is hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. Too many times we think, I've had that, that, that we call it a Holy Spirit moment, we call it an aha moment, uh, the light bulb goes on moment, and I realize I need to make a change in this way or this way or this way. And then we start living life and we realize, you know, that's part of my life. That's part of my fiber. That's part of my being. And so I think one of the reasons that God's people struggled so much in the book of Judges is that they were just saying sorry. They weren't radically changing. And before long, they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord again. What's the point of this message today? Here's the point. Sin is powerful. Sin is painful. But God's plan of deliverance is incredible, and it's life-saving. And it's incredible, and it's life-saving because of one word, Jesus. You may say, Jesus? We're not going to get to Jesus till about March, are we? Well, it's depending on how you define getting to Jesus. See, all of God's word up to this point is pointing to the need for a Savior. Pointing to the hope that a Savior will bring. And Jesus Christ is that hope. If you're here today and you say, man, I really resonate with that power of sin thing. I can't let go of, you fill in the blank. Or, you know, I really resonate with that whole repentance thing. I need to experience a radical change in my life. Can I tell you right now, Jesus Christ is the answer. You don't have to wait till March. You have to wait till chapter 20 of the story. We live on the other side of history. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the sting was broken. The stain was no more. And hope for you and for me who are followers of Jesus Christ became a reality. So in a moment, we're going to have a, a song of invitation. And I'm going to be up front. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to say a word about next week. Next week, we go into chapter 9 in the story of Ruth. Man, I love the story of Ruth. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Ruth was a, a foreign woman whose life could be defined as hopeless. If there was one word to give the life of Ruth, it's hopeless. And if you don't know the story of Ruth, man, be here next week. You will not want to miss grace and hope and love converging because of the faith of a foreign woman. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to study a book that, that, that's depressing. To see your people falling into sin over and over and over again makes us ask, well, what's their problem? Until we realize that that's our story as well. And so I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross because I'm a sinner. Because we are sinners. Thank you for the hope that only Jesus brings. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.